0: Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams Tea Podcast where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week we're coming at you with a brand new episode where we talk about the news, the goings-on in the world of music right now. Where we talk about what we have all been listening to this week on the channel. We've had a really good week for some nice stuff that we've made. Uh, The day we are recording this, Riley dropped uh, their video on the discography of M83 because mm-hmm. we want to prepare for the new M83 album, which, gosh, this is like the first proper M83 album in how many years? Since Junk in
1: 2016. So, Ooh, yeah. Oh wow. So, yeah, yeah go mate, go check that out. M83. Yeah, it was funny. Like, the, oh! the, whole, the whole impetus for doing that video, which I did very spontaneously, was one, we discussed the M83 in last week's Now episode when I talked about the earliest records I owned. And then second, listening to Paranormal so much this week, it's Mm -hmm. so obvious how strong the influence is of the M83 on Paranormal, specifically this new Paranormal record. Like there's just such a clear through line there. So it's a great time to be someone who really loves that, you know, synthetic shoegaze sound where you have the these walls of guitars or walls of distorted synthesizers, these brilliant, beautiful melodies, and this just really emo-tinged aesthetic to it all. It's a great time for music like that. Uh, really excited to see what the new M83 album delivers in March. But yeah, go and check out that video. I'm really proud of it. I think it turned into something a little bit more interesting, and a little bit more substantial than just a ranking video. So yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that one. And... Yeah. Also, also,
0: we have the return of the Rubber Gum Anime Podcast. uh, For for real this time, Uh, Jen and I uh, brought back the show because we have a mutual appreciation for the anime Bleach, because that is getting a revival anime this year. Um, It is dropping in several different parts, the adaptation of the incredibly beloved final arc, the Thousand Year Blood War. So we are preparing for covering that and we have also already begun watching other things to talk about in the future uh august is also going to be joining us for some of those things uh on occasion when he is able to make it and uh i guess on the note of more pressing matters is that this little now episode we have sometimes we're going to be talking about themes and special topics for these episodes and this week pay attention because we are going to talk about our favorite guilty pleasure songs. We've been looking forward to doing this all week and it is going to be properly embarrassing. Uh, We don't know any of the other person's picks. It is a complete surprise to everyone else. So that should be an interesting little segment at the end of this video.
1: Yeah, really, really excited for that. That's going to be a fun one. So without further ado, Let's get into the latest in music news this week. So there haven't been a lot of particularly notable album announcements or single drops that I want to mention, although obviously we're gearing up for the release of some really significant records in the next few weeks. But I Mm -hmm. do want to talk about... Some cool, th- some funny, some interesting, some noteworthy things that have happened in the world of music this week. Uh, I'll start off with the fact that we had uh, the nominees for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class were announced this week. And oh. just to be clear as well, the nominees are not necessarily the inductees. We'll find out which of these nominees get inducted in May. Um, but I want to mention this because it's a surprisingly based list, like basically across the board. It's really- Rare W? Well, I mean, it's not a, I mean, look, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they're a kind of, they're not a serious institution. They kind of just exist as a novelty. Um, But because they exist as a novelty honoring, you know, classic artists, essentially from the history of modern popular music, we like a lot of popular music throughout the last 50 to 60 years so yeah they are going to accrue w's through our perspective just by virtue of that aligning interest with us but that said yeah this list is really really awesome and i'm sad that not all of them will be able to get in this year Uh, we have uh, missy elliott uh cheryl Crow, warren zavon uh, who was nominated oh. at the insistence of Billy Joel, who really stuck his neck out to get Warren Zevon? Hey. on the list. Hey, all right. Uh, Cindy Lauper, George Michael, Willie Nelson, uh, Ooh. Joy Division and New Order as one entry. Oh. Um, those are all first-time nominees, as well as the White Stripes who, you know, you know they, we can't win them all. But anyway, <laughs> um, repeat nominees who still haven't made it in but are nominated yet again this year include Kate Bush, iron maiden Soundgarden, the spinners tribe called quest and rage against the machine so that's kind of hard to it's i can't imagine being very mad at um many of these at
0: this point i just got a question it's like
1: whatever rules
0: you have that are keeping iron maiden from being in the rock and roll hall of fame maybe you should get rid of those rules
2: there's no rules they're just stupid
1: yeah the the only the only rule is that um the artist the artist's first commercially available recording has to be at least 25 years old and obviously Iron Maiden clear that so yeah it's a bit weird that they have they're not in there yet um hopefully this is the year um certainly as well for some of those I mean Kate Bush Soundgarden Tribe Called Quest Rage Against the Machine they've all been eligible for you know coming up on 10 years so isn't fucking Eminem in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, I don't know if he would be eligible yet. He might be eligible Let's next year because I think Slim Shady LP came out in nineteen. Mind you, Infinite came out in ninety six. Maybe he is. Is Eminem in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
0: I wonder if Kate Bush is going to get it just because of the Resurgence popularity sure is up that hill as of November of last year. Oh, there Eminem we go. made it before Kate Bush. Uh, where's my rope? I
1: love this. M&M I love this little byline from Iron Maiden. I love this little byline from this article about his induction. Eminem was inducted Saturday into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after performing some of his most popular songs with Steven Tyler and Ed Sheeran. <sighs> really telling you the kind of pedigree that that Eminem is. is, is... So
0: basically, he performed "River" and "Sing for the Moment."
1: <laughs> cool. Yeah, let's um. The, I mean, two of his biggest songs, of course. That's not certainly true. true. It's it's not. I guess no one remembers those songs I, except us.
0: Well, I mean, I think I guess from a streaming standpoint, they might be. I mean, the Ed Sheeran cut might be one of the more popular cuts on Revival. Like that charted, didn't it? Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know how
2: much farther down this thought hole I can go.
1: Yeah, I mean, like. <laughs> You know, mm. it's just funny. What was really funny about that to me is the this, is this Steven Tyler feature. That's so Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, of course, you get fucking worse yeah. with Br- Man in there. But it's doubly funny because I'm pretty sure in the time since then, he has been credibly accused of, like, statutory rape. So, you know, just a great look to be. <laughs> I, I know, right? Steven Tyler would never, would never have sex with an underage girl.
0: A rock star about?
1: over the age of 50? What? Anyway, let's- let first time I've heard this. Let's draw a line under that. Another news item mm. uh, that, I, that I feel like is worth talking about as well, this was kind of a little minor Twitter thing yesterday, uh, was the comments of one Mr. Matt Healy on the possibility of an Oasis reunion. <laughs> uh, this was just so funny. Another too. rare W. <laughs> well, this is just like, you know, I- To my chagrin, even though obviously my feelings, my positive feelings on the 1979 unknown, I still have probably watched a lot more interviews with Matt Healy than any reasonable, sane, healthy human being would. (laughs) And so this is the kind of thing that he does just say. Um, But it's nice that it had a little moment on Twitter and it had Mm -hmm. like, it inspired a little bit of discussion and debate about, you know, whether or not Oasis are morally and ethically obligated to reunite, which we would say that they are. Uh, (laughs) marding. Yeah, stop marding. Stop marding with your brother. Marding. I'm look. I'm Kiwi, right? We've got you know big ties to colonial UK. I've never heard the word marding in my life.
0: Never. Never once.
1: Some I'm real fucking uh letting your grandmother
0: it. suck eggs or some shit. I'm
1: almost convinced he invented it, but yeah, it was this amazing thing. Like the longer he went on about it, the more correct he was. It was just yeah. so funny when he got to the point yeah. of talking about how like no one at a high flying birds or Liam Gallagher solo gig, not a single human being wouldn't rather be at an Oasis gig. And That's- he's just actually correct about this which i
2: said is a better line than he's ever written for a song
1: yeah that's like um
2: when when is matt healy's cultural commentator era Uh, no more 1975 i just want this dude on like new yorker articles
1: yeah i mean it's (laughs) One of the funny things that he commented on was like, I can forgive them dressing like they're in their 20s. They're in their 20s. (laughs) But stop acting like you're still in your 20s. And so, what I like about Matt Healy is that he has a sense of self awareness about how old is too old to be doing certain things. And so, I'm convinced that within 10 years, he will just have a podcast and he'll be like, you know, he'll be like Gen Z Mark Marin essentially, and he'll just be doing that kind of thing. And, yeah, like,
2: it wouldn't surprise me if he, like, took Zane Lowe's job at some point.
1: Oh, God, that would yeah. be so... Yeah. I don't think, the thing is, I don't think he could do that, because Zane Lowe, the thing about what Zane Lowe does, res, all respect to him, but you have to be... You said he's like, a
2: remarkable kiss-ass. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yes, you have to be yes. the world's
1: biggest sycophant to do that job. And if you watch Eddie Zane Lowe interview, you know, he might as well be on all fours slobbering. Uh, I don't think Matty Healy could do that. I think if he disliked someone, he wouldn't let her hold it in. Anyway. His
0: his interview with the Mars Volta last year is legitimately, I watched like all, like the entire hour-worthy interview of that, which I can't say for most music interviews, but you cannot convince me for his adulation, like ridden as he was for that band. I'm like, I don't believe that Zane Lowe has ever listened to the Mars Volta. It was like
1: time. It was somehow more masturbatory than any solo that, Cedric or Omar have ever played on record. It's
0: more masturbatory than us when we talk about the Mars Volta.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Although
2: it did bring us that beautiful moment where uh, <laughs> Omar goes, I would delete this. And Zane goes, <laughs> that's my favorite fucking line. That's so, good. that's so I was like, oh my God, they've seen into our brains.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's that that's that's yeah yeah. Uh. so more 1975 news is welcome in my opinion another item that okay this is definitely just more in my wheelhouse since i don't really know if either of you are that familiar with the band that this person is in um but one of my favorite sort of indie rock bands of the 2000s very new york band sort of very classic band is the walkman uh, and the Walkman's frontman Hamilton Lighthouser, amazing name, by the way. Uh, I was, was going <laughs> to say, holy shit. Uh, was in the news this week for, like, the most absolutely random of reasons, completely Mannheim unrelated to music. steamroller-ass name. Um, but yeah, he was in the news because he accidentally received a random person's ashes in the mail. Uh, some funeral home, essentially. Uh, you know, there was a mix-up, and apparently this happens, you know, stupidly often. Uh, where where cremated ashes are sent to the wrong address, essentially, and
2: Hamilton that should have to be a pickup only type of thing.
1: <laughs> Probably, I think that's a flawed business model. And so. Hamilton was in like local news. This wasn't obviously national news, but he was on ABC, and hilariously, despite the fact that he was the frontman of one of the most commercially successful indie rock bands of the 2000s, him being a musician was not mentioned at all in the ABC piece. He was just local man, yeah. And so apparently, like he got these ashes, and then he kind of got in touch with the funeral home, and he had a whole like thing with them, and he kind of called them out on Twitter and said, you know, these guys are hacks uh starting beef with a funeral home on twitter and he like posted a, a snippet of his conversation with this like juan's funeral home with the guy from juan's funeral home and he was like complaining to this guy he's like why on earth would you send these ashes to me of the like, obviously like even the address is not even adri- like my name isn't on it and he's like the guy from the funeral home's like well i don't know maybe he used to live there maybe he's dead and then hamilton's like of course he's fucking dead you just mailed him to me <laughs> and that that interaction is just one of my favorite things that's ever happened uh just like and even hamilton himself pointed this out it's like an episode of kirby enthusiasm in real life and <laughs> just this random you know puff piece do- dovetailing with the world of indie rock is just that's the funniest thing in the world to me so yep. the, I, I I very much got a kick out of that this week. Uh, what else happened this he's week? This You mailed it to me. So there's
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, this episode of Frasier. I think it's the the Carlos and the Chicken one, where Frasier gets pranked oh. on his own radio yes. show. And Martin's like, "Well, it's cool to hear my son on the radio at least." And he's like,
1: "I'm on the radio every day." <laughs> Oh man, it's just great that these that that <laughs> happens in real life. I love it. Um, yeah, another, and I just love, I live for these completely random, almost like Mad Libs ass news items. So, this week, Swedish dance pop star Zara Larsen, who you may have heard of, very famous in Europe and and you know, classic sort of you know, uh, third tier of the festival lineup, sort of pop artist. Uh, Was in the news because she wore a dress to an awards show that featured artwork and the logo of the band Burzum.
0: Oh no!
1: And you know her being and Burzum are Norwegian, right? And she's Swedish, so it's not quite exactly the same thing. But like you know, it's kind of sus, and you should. It's not a. It's not a good look. And so she was called out for it and then she like had this re- a statement that i found really funny where she was like had no idea just thought my clothes looked cool it was unfortunate Um <laughs> uh, and so,
0: i i suppose it
1: was that i uh, you know we can only we can only i was going to say we could only wait and hope for Vikernes to comment but now maybe it's best that he doesn't do that um I'm waiting
0: for one of these days for an artist to double down and just be like free him. It's like, well, first of all.
1: No, I I just wish she would. I wish she had I wish she had lent it to it. Just like, I'm here for the music, Philosophium masterpiece. You know? Yeah, I was was gonna say. But no, she just completely played dumb on it, which I love. Um, I I believe she genuinely has no idea who Burzum is and just wore the dress because it looked cool. It's just really funny. The only um,
0: people who know who Burzov is are fucking two online 15-year-olds, so just, I can't really begrudge her.
1: It's just funny, and I feel like whenever someone Scandinavian like plays dumb on like accidentally invoking anything related to like right-wing extremism or Nazism, it's like, how much leeway do you expect to be given here? <laughs> like, just you know. How much is too much? What was the plan? But, you know, the idea of Zara Larson, of all people, like dog whistling the alt-right is also really funny. Anyway, that's another Mm. funny thing that happened this week. And that's it for funny news. Uh, Not that the rest of this news is sad or anything, although some of it is sad. This is a terrible segue, whatever. (laughs) Um, Also, just announced this week as well, is that Elton John's announced a 50th anniversary reissue, remaster, re-release of Honky Chateau. Uh, which is very exciting as well, Ooh. I, and I, it, it occurred to me as well that that might be the sort of thing that's worth celebrating potentially with some kind of record club at some point when it does. I return.
0: adore that album; would be would love to do that.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it's going to be available on uh, the 24th of March, limited edition vinyl, and um, mm-hmm. with lots of with unreleased material as well. So yeah, Elton John fans are going to be eating with the Honky Chateau reissue. We had some, um. Kind of sad news. I will say, you know, it's, it's, it's news that's for the best given, you know, how many people we've lost recently and how much we want, you know, our older musicians to kind of take care of themselves and not put too much pressure on themselves. Ozzy Osbourne announced that he is retiring right. um, this yeah. week. And it's kind of sad circumstances as well, because it wasn't really a planned retirement. He is, you know, his health has just gone hill, gone downhill really quickly, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. uh, of course he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2020. And I mean, look, Ozzy is as much of a living legend as you, I mean, he may be the dictionary definition of a living legend at this point in time, him and Keith Richards, I guess, uh, in the sense that it's amazing that they're still alive in the first place. I
0: was going to say, it is literally, like, Ozzy, I'm pretty sure has been on in the double digits amounts of farewell tours at this point.
1: (laughs) Ozzy has, like, had a chance to, yeah, rehearse his own, like, you know. His own epitaph a million times but it is sad that this has kind of happened to him so suddenly this you know this change in his well-being and the, to the extent that he had to cancel a year-long tour with Judas Priest so yeah we wish Ozzy all the best as well we hope Ozzy is able to recoup and recover and stick around long enough to you know it, obviously he's probably past his days of even delivering us new music but we just want Ozzy to be around because a world Without well, I mean Ozzy he is... had an album
0: like last year
1: like he's just never stopped yeah yeah he he had a couple he's, he's released two albums in the last three years you're right um so yeah it's great that he i'm glad he's still with us i'm glad that we still have him as a presence and you know we wish him all the best last news item before well second last news item last news item is going to be a certain album that jake's going to be telling us about um but before that i want to celebrate um the anniversary of a record that means a lot to me you know obviously (laughs) we're, we're in a constant state of you know, albums that are significant to one or more of us celebrating big momentous anniversaries. We don't always get to dedicate videos to that. And it's fine. I'm, I I I get it. Um, I'm a little bit sad that we couldn't do it for this one, but I also understand why as well. And I'm probably a little bit more fond of this than maybe anyone else would be anyway. But this week, the third My Bloody Valentine album, MBV, turns 10. Mm-hmm. And it was a real moment of reflection because... And I, a lot of people who were, most of whom were older than me, because I was I was like, you know, I was like 15 at the time that this album, was, that album was released. But, you know, there were a lot of stories that were being shared of the incredible, you know, because that album was surprise released with like basically no fanfare. Kevin Shields had been teasing for, you know, since the mid 2000s that there was going to be a third My well, Bloody Valentine album. But no yeah. one believed him because no one had reason to believe him because he said there would be again and again and again. And then it just existed, you know, on February third, two thousand thirteen, and I remember it well because for the first week that it was out, I, I, I couldn't afford to buy it. Um, I just didn't have money at that time. I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't working at that age. I was desperate to hear it, and I remember they put up. And this was in the moder- the kind of like the era bef- between when YouTube was kind of a foreign place for music and for artistic streaming and the era now where YouTube is kind of like the standard place almost. And so I remember this because when the album came out, my buddy Valentine uploaded a stream of the album, but like to. To like um stop people essentially using the stream as a way of pirating the album and not buying it, they made it really lo-fi, like you know, mm. 360p videos. And it's really funny yeah. because it's my bloody fucking Valentine. But um, but I so for the longer for like a week, I had rips of those really low-fi versions of those songs on my iPod touch, actually. And I was, I was, it was the start of the school year, I would be walking around school listening to this album, just kind of completely caving in my own eardrums listening to it at insane volume and it's Hell a really yeah. like special memory to me but like I, I got to know the album in this really kind of compromised form so like when i eventually got had money for the itunes download and got to hear it properly it was like a completely different experience so yeah lots of fond memories tied up in that record i think it's a divisive album some of my buddy valentine fans don't care for it at all and i i, I mean Whack. i I love that album i was chatting about it with our friend zach as well who was who also has really fond feelings about it too it's a really special record it it, it, it's you know i I don't know if we'll ever get a fourth my bloody valentine album considering the 22 year gap between loveless and mbv i wouldn't rule anything out
0: well they've been talking about it like they did with mbv it's the same shit again how they're just like oh we have two new albums yeah do you do you kevin
1: well i mean yeah it's like it's the same fucking shit it's the exact same shit we're going through with the fucking cure at the moment except that's even more of a cock tease because that music does genuinely seem to exist it exists give it to me robert why would you show it to me if i can't have it all we're saying is we understand and are sympathetic to the artistic process and also the demands of record labels and that sort of thing that said release your fucking music (laughs) i'm tired of waiting on the opposite note, in terms of bands that need to stop releasing music, we had, <laughs> we, we had yet another emission from the Smashing Pumpkins this week. Uh, the second installment in their new trilogy, a trilogy which is itself the third installment in another trilogy consisting of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness and Machina, Atom. Part two dropped this week. Jake, you're the only one of us who has any kind of, you know, will to listen to any of this shit. So tell us about it. How does it compare to Adam part one? And what is the shape that this trilogy is taking at this point in your estimation?
0: It's so funny that like the moment Adam part one came out and dropped, like I got a little notification and like immediately, immediately I was like. Yes, I have to do it and I listened to it as soon as I got it because I was just I was at work I was already listening to music and I was like alright might as well do this and I talked about it on here on an episode with uh, Jen last year late into the year and um, my thoughts on that constituted this is certainly better than Seer but not by much and I think the most disappointing thing about Adamac 2 it's the same shit all over again. It's just, it's this same kind of dream pop, synth pop, alt rock kind of mishmash together that, yeah, it sounds better than Seer. Like, that's that's the one thing I keep coming back to is that from a production standpoint, the mixing on here is still kind of terrible, but it has more presence like the synths have more impact and 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 weight like these songs actually feel like they have a tangible effect on you while listening to them other than like mind-melting boredom and that also has to do with the fact that sure i've been listening to these you know segments of the album these you know chapters the the singular album releases which certainly helps me digest them a little bit better um so i i am thankful for the release format of that but i'd say that adam act 2 is the ever like if i'm comparing the two parts it is j- like the minimum amount that something can be considered better than something else this is better than the first one and i mean that by like like i've started rating things on rate your music out of 100 adam act 1 I, I have at a 32 this is a 33. Haha, ha, smashing pumpkins joke. But <laughs> like, it, it's, it, it is. Incrementally an improvement because it doesn't have as many consistent low points. Like the it, it I, I did admittedly kind of miss the the complete train wreck of something like Hooray, which I believed I described as Numa Numa Nightcore on the last episode. <laughs> There's nothing on Act Two that's that bad, which is almost kind of disappointing. Like it gets close with. I, I think the universally agreed weak points of songs like "Loss" and Nightwaves, where the songs just sort of go in between, like, heavy fucking alt-rock riffage, bro, and just, like, the most boring dream pop you've ever fucking heard with Billy Corgan just being like, that's the whole that's the whole vocal presence across the whole album and it and it ends as limped dickly as those songs with uh the culling and spring times but even then the the low points aren't just as as yeah they're not as like you know awe-inspiringly terrible you know they're not up there with like zeitgeist as some of the worst things this band have ever done and then there's the best song on here which i feel like i'm obligated to give like at least one of these tracks on these listens like the, the 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 slight like three out of five star vaguely positive feeling like rating because there's always one song on these That basically epitomizes all of Billy Corgan's best tendencies at this point in his career. And it just only gets over the finish line. Like, it's not even that, like, I enjoyed this or even think it's particularly good. It's just that the song manages to finish the race that the rest of the album fucking falls on its face while it's still running. And that being Space Age, which is so close to being, like, a genuinely good modern sort of reinterpolation of the ideas that they had on Siamese Dream. And it, it's just mixed so fucking terribly. Billy, for the love of God, get somebody anybody other than who you have been getting to produce these songs and this album to work on this shit because it's not working. Please God! It's so obvious if my amateur ass can be like, no, this is incompetent, then you need to stop. You need to get someone other than your big shiny ego bald head to do the work for you. I'm I'm, I'm just... Just get this, someone else this, to make the album. <laughs> Yes, so I don't know at this point. <laughs> fucking anything.
1: So uh, like I like hire a ghost just, writer. Just, just stop. I, I mean, you're, this is the this is the thing we're talking to someone who is you know, and this is one of the things that made him great, and the thing that makes him cursed to this, you know, you know this eternal fate of mediocrity is that he is. You know, he's a megalomaniac. He's a fucking egomaniac. He's completely singularly (sighs) focused on his own vision. That's the thing that made him great. And that's the thing that makes him suck now. And it's, that's the eternal curse of a lot of great artists, you know, and it's, it's kind of part of the package deal. Like you need that kind of single-minded, even selfish, like self-confidence when you're in that, you know, peak creative era of your life when all those ideas are just falling out of you you need to have that confidence to be able to execute them to a degree that makes them feel you know believable and and sincere and real and that's the, the aspect of that music that in the 90s that made it so appealing because if, if it ever felt like Billy Corgan was in, in any way pretending it wouldn't have worked as well um but yeah and that's just once the well dries up as it you know in 95% of cases it just does then this is what we're left with <laughs> adam it
0: just it, it it's just so tantalizing because it, it it shows me that you know the well is mostly dry but it's not fully dry you know because like i feel like the billy corgan of even 15 years ago would have made a song like space age be genuinely great and instead, we're stuck here, and it's just, like, reminding you just enough of the fact that this band isn't, like, they're, like, 99% washed, but that 1%, man, is fucking infuriating.
1: Yeah, as for, like, late career Billy, you know, and I know this is, you know, I, I liked Monuments to an Elogy. I, I recognize I did too. Hate that I mean, I that's okay. okay I thought that one okay. was decent and that is a lot of what you're describing is it that, because that's primarily kind of synth based with a cup with some guitar stuff laid in but I think of songs like being beige and stuff and I was like you know this is kind of cute and and I dig it and it's kind of like he has forgotten how to make even that idea of you know this sort of sparkly chintzy, cheesy synth pop song just sound listenable so that that that's the most frustrating thing is that even if he just kept writing these same songs and putting these same songs on his record they would be so much better if even the 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 most the tiniest amount of care was put into how they're presented as was you know 10 years ago i feel anyway, the need favorite. to also
0: i i feel the need to add to the fact that i'm not even accounting for the fact that this is still supposed to be one album i'm judging these As they come out as their own singular album experiences, I'm not even accounting for the fact that these all sound the same and that if you combine them all into this triple album, it would be impossible to sit through. We would never review this whole thing on the show because it would just, it would be, it would be miserable. It would be like, you wouldn't even enjoy listening to it. We wouldn't even be entertaining. We would just be sitting there like.
1: Uh, uh I still think like it would be fun to do something like the machine albums, maybe just because there's a little bit more Definitely. To, to dig into there, you know, and a good mixture of stuff. Fuck, man, i talk work. about zeitgeist at this point. <laughs> Don't say that. Uh you <laughs> I mean it. If we do what we're doing with artists like you know Tom Waits or whoever, where we just eventually just do the discography through eventual record club after record club. I wouldn't mind that, but that guys would be one of the last ones we would do.
2: <laughs> There's just so
0: many things that we could do instead of that. Yeah,
1: no, that's right, Morgan. You've, you've you've hit the nail on the head. The world of music is so infinite and vast. Why would we? Why would and we spend look, our time with that? Before we get into what we've been listening to, to kind of wipe the slate on that and just kind of bring up the the tempo and the pace and the mindset to something much much more pleasant. Morgan, I'm going to call upon you. I know you went and saw a certain Mr. Isbell live in concert recently. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and what what the show was like? Yeah.
2: Me and my parents have seen Jason Isbell in the 400 unit anywhere between six and ten times now. Um, I've not been there for all of those, but I think I'm at around six or seven. And that, that was, you know, once or twice a year event type of thing for us. And it went from that to no times a year for about three years. Finally, well, for one, finally getting to hear songs from reunions live, Mm. um, just over the moon, really interesting things happened where in these live settings, like it, it it kind of feels like they weren't able to play shows for three years when they start playing, even though they've been back on the road for uh some time now. There there are moments in almost every song where they just let it breathe for a bit mm. and somebody will jam over top of something. Uh there's a bass solo in What Have I Done to Help? I mean, just buttered my biscuits.
1: Yeah, I mean like you 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 sent us a clip and it was like Isabel was on some some fucking like Larry Carlton, Steve Lukather, like Eric Clapton type shit, mm-hmm. just just completely shredding. And I was not expecting, you know, when you send a clip of Isabel live in concert, I was not expecting to see him doing that. It was almost like, you know, right, yeah, I, I mentioned like Steve Lukather and like Larry Carlton stuff. It Mark felt like not a kind for. of yeah 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 Mark Knopfler another great reference point it felt like a, you know like a 70s soft rock show you know with like those these those really technical um guitar solos you get in bands like Steely Dan and Dire Straits and um yeah and that kind of thing as well it was a really nice sort of surprise and i couldn't see much of the the scene but like you could tell from the video the vibe of just people just kind of like standing there like taking it in and just kind of like that really sort of like you know, adults standing or sitting—the adult sort of sitting concert thing, where you're just kind of like sitting there at a, at a rock show. You don't do very much anymore. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool to see, and I was not expecting that whole vibe at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're they're a, a fucking band, you know, yeah. yeah. like just as as a cohesive unit. Uh, there's not many guitar duos I like more than Isabel and Sadler-Vaden. So guys who have been playing with each other for more than a <laughs> decade now and are just in complete harmony.
1: I love when guys play with each other.
2: You're so... <laughs> Fuck you. they um... no,
1: no, great, great...
2: Yeah. <laughs> I always love when you try to dial back from some out of pocket shit you just said, and you're like, "Nice, you're right, good job."
1: <laughs> no, it's it's just awesome. It's great to see yeah. so much energy and, and you know, because I when I listen to Isabel, usually I'm just putting on some really sad shit from like Southeast. Yeah, and I mean something more than the, three, and I forget there how, are
2: those like, there are those moments too uh, before they ended with Decoration Day, which is what that solo was from. Oh. Um, they played uh, Speed Trap Town. Uh, oh. And early, about halfway through the show, they played Elephant, and it was just Isville <laughs> and his keyboard player, uh, Derry DeBorah, and I was... I, I I left spiritually for a few moments.
1: All right. Well, let's get into what we've been listening to as well. Jake, mm-hmm. what are some of the highlights from the last couple of weeks that you have been listening to that you want to shout out?
0: On the end of the spectrum that involves a lot of listening to things in preparation for uh, this week's episode, uh, pretty much over the entirety of January, I just sort of went about listening to Basically, every project under the banner of Longinus Records, which, you know, long time viewers know that is Paranul's record label, but also Sonos Tomam Kanta, also Asian Glow, also uh, Delazir. Um, basically, just the the really cool, innovative, cutting edge kind of label that has to do with all of these sort of shoegaze emo adjacent projects that basically we've been flying the flag for ever since paranormal um and i just wanted to catch up with all of them in terms of eps in terms of albums and all that and i wanted to rank them and see which one is uh my favorites um and i went back and explored some things that i've already listened to like asian glow's album Fickle, uh sonos tom Kanta's Hypnagogia, uh, the the Paranool, um EP that we talked about, White Ceiling, Black Dots Wandering Around. Um, I also checked out the first album from Paranool, the 2020 record, Let's Walk Along the Path of a Blue Cat, and I know that because, like, they really caught on with to see the next part of the dream that that kind of overshadowed anything they had done before and the thing about paranormal is that he actually was making records under the name last star before paranormal for like years and years like he has like like 15 albums under that project's name. And I haven't gotten around to those yet, but they're a little bit more like dreamier, post-rocky kind of stuff. I've listened to some of them. Eventually some of those songs were turned into paranormal songs later on. So if you want to see like the, them in their nation stage, Um, that I do recommend listening to if you're like a big super fan like we are. Um, And don't skip out on stuff like Let's Walk Along the Path of a Blue Cat. In fact, if you were somebody who found yourself at a bit of a distance from To See the Last Part of the Dream because of the very intense, very oppressive production style. I think that this lets you on to many of the strengths of Paranormal as an artist without that very abrasive production. Um, It is still very, you know, electronic-oriented. It contains a lot of what makes him him. It's not as developed as the ideas uh, on that next album, But I still think that it doesn't deserve to be overlooked. And I did, of course, uh, listen to Project From, I think the only artist we've never talked about that it's, belongs to Longinus, which is Delazir, who is a kind of South Korean blend of shoegaze, dream pop, post rock, felt folktronica kind of thing. Um, they have a an album and an EP, and the album that I listened to from them, uh, "Vitamins and Apprehension," I enjoyed, but it is definitely feels like a proof of concept for something. Uh, it's de- it's on the shorter side; it's less than forty minutes, but it's still feels like they're trying to figure out their sound especially after you listen to their ep nebulous you which is fucking amazing um this is a project that i recommend in the same stead that i recommend um to see the next part of the dream in that yes this has a particular style of production that is going to alienate many people, especially on the first track, Constellation Song. That is where this sort of really heavily oppressive, almost like, it's like *Paranoid* by way of chamber music, except it's, again, it's really smothered in this first part of it. And th- it it got me off on the wrong foot with it, I think. But after that, the three songs that follow it that are all like the the bulk of this record really which is funny that this record is longer than their proper album by like a minute but these songs are fucking incredible like this is some of the best stuff this label has put out period uh specifically uh concerto and what orpheus sang before these two songs are incandescently beautiful bits of dreamy post-rock that is also blended with a kind of psychedelic folk that I don't feel like any of the other people on the label have explored in, like, much detail in their music that makes this really worth checking out. I would say that this is the biggest surprise for me. I would say that in terms of my rankings, that makes it into like my top five projects from this band. Uh, And of course I revisited Downfall of Neon Youth, terrific record, Uh, revisited to see the next part of the dream, which I do want to establish a bit of a precedent before we talk about the new paranormal today, because I feel like perhaps maybe... This is I I have to clarify here this is still an album that I love a whole lot. Um still one of the better albums I heard in 2021. That said, this has grown off of me ever so slightly and a lot of it does have to do with the production, which is frustrating because I wouldn't want it produced any other way because I think it finds strength in how it sounds, but it does lead to a kind of sonic monotony that I feel like can occasionally overwhelm the experience and kind of encroach over the singular strengths of how greatly composed all these things are and just occasionally feel like it sort of sands off the unique edges of how fundamentally great I think Paranol is. I still love this album, really enjoy listening to it, but it definitely feels like it sets the stage for something perhaps more adventurous down the pipeline. And the only other thing I'll mention in terms of projects from this is that the only other thing I hadn't heard from them is the side project of Sonhos Tomam Kanta, which is the project Moondaughter, which put out an album last year called Phosphines and Iridescent Lights. And I am heartbroken I did not get to mention this album last year because this is easily one of the best albums of last year, if you ask me, right alongside Maladaptive Daydream. which, Like, I think that Maladaptive Daydreaming and Phosphines, those are at least, like, of what I've heard from them, those are my two favorite projects this label has put out. Uh, Phosphines and Iridescent Lights, though, is very different from Maladaptive Daydreaming. This is basically, if the idea of Sonos Canta* just... Doubling down and making a Cocteau Twins album sounds interesting to you. Here you go, because that's exactly what this project is. It leans a little bit more into slowcore, a little bit more into, like, you can feel the influence of stuff like Vaporwave on this. It is a very sedentary very ambient pop leaning project so this is not it doesn't give you the immediacy of a lot of stuff like you know paranormal does or even maladaptive daydreaming with its very aggressive black gaze this is not that but if you've listened to some of their projects in the past they have really compelling moments where they just sort of pare everything back and they'll go into the more ambient parts of their sound they'll go into the more stripped back the more dreamy the more just kind of psychedelic moments and this is an album made up of nothing but that and i adore it it's absolutely gorgeous i have not been able to stop listening to it just whenever i have felt a little bit stressed out this month a little bit overwhelmed putting this on is a total balm to the senses uh especially songs like endless sea of nothingness and lonely people neon cities the uh the final track on here Absolutely gorgeous stuff. Uh, this kind of flew under the radar uh, for most people. It's one of the lesser sort of like popular, like least listened to projects that I've talked about. I highly recommend it. Even if you're someone who hasn't gotten along with Sonhos Tomam Kanta's other stuff, this is very, very different than it. But it definitely makes me even more excited for the potential of both of these projects individually. And because it just makes me excited because Sonhos Toma Mkanta's, this incredibly versatile artist. I think that I would have to say they're my favorite person on the label so far just because of that versatility. So that was a particularly rewarding experience. I know that not everyone in the world has the time to listen to all of these, but I highly recommend that you do so, especially the stuff that not a lot of people have listened to because honestly, all of it's worth it. Even though Dream Glow is my least favorite of all of them, I can still say that those have some incredible fucking highs so please for the love of god if you haven't caught up and you're like looking forward to the new paranormal or if you're really into the new paranormal and you want more shit like that no better time than the present man go after it
1: if you have the time to listen to us talk about this stuff, you definitely have the time to listen to these records. Uh-huh. Um, I have not heard the Moon Daughter record in full, but I have heard the song When I Fall Asleep, which I liked very much. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Grouper, actually. So I think if mm-hmm. people out very, there... Who... For fans of
0: Grouper, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Cause it's like that fusion of, you know, sort of droning ambient soundscapes that have a lot of kind of depth and density to them, but also with that light, those light freckled touches of like folk uh, influence and instrumentation that come through in that as well. Um So yeah, I think that's, I, I know I definitely will listen to the album in full cause I did like that song a lot. And it was, there might, I, have, I have a bit of a, like, I like Lua who is, that's her real name. I believe Lua Viana's music is uh, really fascinating and really beautiful. I love, love, love the three songs that she contributed to Downfall of the Neon Youth. Those songs were just amazingly potent and powerful uh, pieces of black gaze. Some of the music they've done since. I also really like the albums Hypnagogia, by the way. That That album really resonated with me in 2021, because again, after Paranormal, it was one of the next things I heard from any artist, you know, from this scene, and it really just landed with me. Um, But some of the other music that uh, Lou has made hasn't really been for me as much, and it's often a product, I think, of just the way that it's presented uh, in terms of the density of the arrangements and the particular production style that she chooses sometimes. But the music is very, very good, and I will always be there day one for any major releases from her. So yeah, as anyone who knows this podcast knows, we're going to keep following these artists very closely uh, with each release that they put out. Jake, yep. anything else you want to yep. talk about? Yes. One thing that is not a part
0: of the scene that we've talked about, but is tangentially related to it just because it feels like it should be. That being that I have discovered a new Japanese band that I really, really like uh, called, good name, My Dead Girlfriend, which is, I mean...
1: I made, a, fuck title, I made guys. a joke about this band like needing to collaborate with a world's end girlfriend i think yeah. <laughs> uh, look i'm not saying that would slap my titties but it probably would
0: so i'm open to the idea but i i listened to the eps and album i believe they have two albums one of them is a collaborative album and one is just an album they've made and For all I know, they are still working. The last thing they did was a score for a movie, but they are still an active band. But the uh, EPs that I listen to are great. Uh, The one I listen to is called Shaman's Daughter. I think that's their most recent proper release in 2020, Mm -hmm. which was a good EP. But their 2012 EP, Underdrawing for Three Forms of Unhappiness at the State of Existence, I'm really just burrowing into a parody of myself with these names, is amazing, but it's their proper album, uh, Hades, parenthetical, The Nine Stages of Change at the Deceased Remains, but I'm just going to call it Hades. What because, is this? Car eating
1: Cambria? Get the fuck out I of mean, here.
0: That's, that, that makes me feel a little bit better n- knowing that we enjoy bands with these absolutely up-their-own-ass titles. Oh, uh, it's amazing.
1: Than, I fucking love it. What's the
2: deal with Claudio Sanchez?
0: Am I right, fellas? <laughs> I, 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 I must say, if you are into stuff like Belonginus record stuff, particularly Paranool, you have to listen to Hades. This album been on pretty constant rotation for me ever since I listened to it. It's stellar. It's a combination of sort of Dream Pop, Shoe Gaze, and Noise Pop. And it has, again, it has a really abrasive style of mixing, but it's more like, I think the way I describe this is, this is paranool by way of always. This is like Blue Rev, with the sonic palette of the new paranormal album. Uh, All of these songs are like, they're constructed in such a way that makes you feel like they're getting the the sort of maximal amount of the the ingredients of pop music like always. Uh, It's a stellar like initial run of tracks. I mean, it never really drops the ball, but man, this album really, really just gets a lot out of its sonic palette. Um, It's really hard hitting. It's not particularly long. I think it's like 48 minutes. But this is something that like, again, it fits right in with the sonic aesthetic of that stuff. And I highly recommend it uh, just because it doesn't seem to be something that like everybody uh, is aware of or has listened to or what have you. But nonetheless, if you need something like that to sort of scratch that itch, something really immediate sounding, if you're into always, if you're into paranormal, please give this a shot. And the last thing I want to mention is quicker, just because uh, it is related to something we talked about last year. Um, That being, I I said I was going to do it quicker, but I guess time just got away from me. But I finally listened to my next album from Fiona Apple after we listened to uh, Win the Pawn on our record club last year, which coincidentally, if you haven't seen that record club, go check that out. That's a really good record club. I listened to, I didn't really know like what I was going to do next. I was like, I could go to uh, her first album. I could go to Extraordinary Machine. Um, I could revisit uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, now that I have a bit more of an understanding of her as an artist. But instead, I went to The Idler Wheel, uh, just because just, that one seemed to be Because it's
1: like... a literal hate crime that you hadn't heard it already. <laughs> that's- that's probably
0: the- the best reason. I think But it was it's like, like a hate crime highly... against
1: yourself for not having heard it already.
0: And, I mean, I'm not saying that you're right. Nothing new for us. But- but you're right. If you remember what our thoughts were on <laughs> that just, album, it's just
1: Fiona uh, Apple going, "You're gonna cry, faggot," for forty minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. That's the that thing, though. answers, yes, <laughs> and
0: and I I re-listened to Win the Pawn as well, which I again I gave that album a a tentative nine point five because I was just like, you know, not sure how this will. grow. It's a ten, tentative? so you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a ten. It's a ten. It's a perfect album. But the thing about the idler wheel is that this 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 bitch made an album that's just as good as "Win the Pawn," again. How? And of course, it we, has the long ass there. title. the The idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do. Um, uh, shorter
1: than "Win the Pawn"
0: Up and kind bars. of catchier.
1: Yeah, it's but, it's, a, it's actually a legitimately heat album title. Oh yeah, and.
0: It implies it sort of has that sort of poetic meter that a lot of her lyricism has. And boy, howdy! Does her lyrical content on this album put you through the ringer? Songs like, I mean, fuck's sake, Left Alone, Werewolf, Periphery, Valentine, Daredevil. Shit, man! What was she cooking? This is an album where it kind of it departs slightly from the kind of jazzier kind of baroque elements of when the pawns sound and this is a rougher warmer Kind of a, a, it feels like the production of this album is building an environment as much as it is building a song. There's like found sound and environmental noises that just kind of infiltrate these songs at various moments that make this album have a very kind of like metropolitan feel to it. Like you feel like you're living in the city with Fiona as you are listening to it, and she's just sort of guiding you through it on songs like uh, you know, uh Valentine or Jonathan or Left Alone or just basically taking you through the things that keep her up at night, like on the intro every single night. And, oh man, th- this is... A quintessential sad bitch album. I know we tried to sort of stay away from stereotyping Fiona's music into being sad girl stuff uh, in uh, our initial review, which is true. She shouldn't be. Um, That said, this is an even better breakup album than When the Pawn was, which I think When the Pawn fits that purpose pretty well. But this really does feel like trying to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try to continue throughout life despite being just like horrifically emotionally wounded by somebody songs like regret yeah. or a uh, hot knife for instance i feel like really display stuff like this
1: it's kind of an album about like self-imposed isolation as a me- means mm-hmm. to heal yourself like deliberately cutting yourself off from people and the rest of the world so that you can very heal. laura
0: marling again that was yeah. a comparison i came back to a
1: lot and it's like one of the things i love about it is that it gets you into this sort of self-imposed isolation space sonically really well by the way that it's recorded. So it it has this real live feel to it. I think a lot of the piano parts and and vocal parts are recorded Mm -hmm. live. Um, And of course you you do have overdubs on most of the songs, of course, because it's not a purely live record, but it just creates that feeling. And like you said, she uses a lot of like, not necessarily found sound, but it's kind of like unconventional means of percussion, like on um, periphery. She has this loop of her kind of (sighs) sort of scratching her shoes along pavement and then of course regret has the gear shift that's stuck as the main loop and you have all these sorts of things you have music box type melodies all that kind of stuff you have Mm -hmm. this utterly devastating sample of like screaming children at the end of werewolf just this crazy stuff that she does that really gives it a sense of this kind of isolated loneliness it reminds me a lot of I, i mentioned this as well when we were talking about it in the group chat it reminds me a lot of vespertine by Burek, yes, emotionally is like the entire opposite of it, because that's about finding intimacy and connection and romance with someone else and and bonding through that. But just in terms of aesthetics and techniques, it's a similar album in terms of the way that it uses uh, sounds and mixes and and just really unconventional um, pieces of instrumentation to enhance a really intimate feel. Um, But I also just like the arc of Idler Wheel a lot as well, because it is this really dark record and it it goes to these really self-loathing and bitter and caustic places but it finds a kind of resolution It, it takes that to its most kind of cathartic extent with songs like left alone and regret and then at the very final stretch with anything we want and hot knife it kind of It merges out the other side of that and ends in a surprisingly optimistic place about kind of embracing the possibilities of new love and the possibilities of, of excitement. The way that that she sings, he excites me on a hot knife is like one of my favorite vocal deliveries she's ever done. It's just so raw and real. Okay. (sighs) Well, I'll get into a few things now that I want to shout out. I want to start with a new release that. Look, I'll be honest, it didn't completely blow me away, but I really appreciated it. In fact, it's doing a lot of things that I think have the potential to really appeal to certain people. Jake, I think you may even be one of them. Um, It's currently, it's a very, you know, we talk about a lot of radio music core on this podcast. You know, we try not to lean into the stereotype too much, but inevitably we just do talk about music. It's that the best points... way to discover new music. <laughs> yeah. And and we do end up talking about and commentating a lot of the, the culture of that website as well. But um, so an artist that is currently on the number three spot on the year-end chart for this year is an artist by the name of Panda Rosa. Now, this is an artist I'd heard of before because I have mutuals and friends who are huge fans, uh, online friends, obviously, who are huge fans of this particular oh, okay. artist. And they are known for these you know, kind of experimental, psychedelic, drony soundscape sort of albums that they've made several of them over the past, you know, seven years. Um, but this new record that they've put out called Burned Car Highway Light Volcanic is probably the release of theirs that's gathered the most steam. Volcanic bird enemy
0: in the voice concern? What? Uh uh-huh.
1: Yeah, it's a demanding release. It is two hours long. Um, and so I was like, Man, am I really gonna listen to this? And then I thought to myself, shit, I spent I, I listened to like multiple natural snow buildings albums. Yeah, me too. I, I, I can't have no... I have no excuse for not listening to this. And so nope. I put it on. I listened to it in full yesterday at work, and you know, I couldn't help but make a natural snow buildings comparison at certain points because it's Very much its own thing, but in the way that it uses longer lengths and droning textures as well, it evokes that sort of thing. But it's kind of like, I don't know, it's different. It's drone music in a sense, but it's like very busy. And cluttered and just full of like layers and layers and layers of sounds. There's a huge plunderphonics element to it as well. So a lot of it is is sampling from other music. There's a really random Modest Mouse Truckers Atlas sample at one point. There's a sample from <laughs> Orbital's Insides that I picked up at one point on this Yo. record. There's just all, all kinds right. of like really interesting bits of sort of plunder plunderphonics sampling on this. And I don't under I haven't dug a lot into. Panda Roditz's artistic identity and what they kind of, the purpose of their music is to them. But what I can gather is that records like this are kind of made to kind of induce this sort of state of almost like meditative zoning in. Like, you just get completely lost in these massive soundscapes. There's not a lot of real, like, there's definitely melodies and music, you know, weaving its way through these records in certain places. But a lot of it is just about this wall of sound. Gorgeous, psychedelic, very pretty, very beautiful, but so dense. And the purpose of it, I think, is just to kind of completely just bury you in that and kind of let you just sort of exist in that space. I can't deny that I think it would have had more of a a, a connection and a sort of lasting impact for me if it had been like an hour shorter. But at the same time, I get that part of its purpose is to sort of be this overwhelming wall that just kind of bears down on you and you just sort of like are flattened by it. And it's not, I say that, it's not like particularly loud or abrasive in any way. It's, It's not really abrasive at all, actually. It's just like... It's this massive cloud of sounds for two hours. And I found it really beguiling. I found it really intriguing. There are moments like Cutting All My Wires, uh, Mortal End Love, The Brain Misfolds, the title track, um, Through. There's definitely lots of moments on this record that I found to be individually quite stunning. Um, It's just a lot to take in, and you have to really have a preponderance for what the kind of music i'm describing if you're gonna engage with this at all but i i say if it intrigues you definitely give it a shot it is super right your music core like there's just a lot of influence from lots of very write your music esques acts you know like you made a volcanic birdie enemy joke about the title you know and i think some of some of little ugly Main's sort of psychedelic non-hip-hop music is actually you know, not all that uncomparable. I also thought of even artists like Sweet Trip to a certain extent, just that kind of digital dreamy bliss element, um, does weave its way through this in certain ways. So yeah, I I recommend giving it a shot, um, but just know that it is it's not going to be for everyone, but I think Jake, you might have a good chance of enjoying it, or um certainly more than me anyway. I appreciated more than enjoyed it, but I'm glad that this artist is having a certain level of success crossing over a little bit online in that Sounds space. Easy. And it's just actually it's just worth hearing to see if you can how many of the random randomized plunderphonics samples you can pick up on. Like there's I was lots of say like... modest mouse. Damn. <laughs> it's not even like a sample that's used musically. It's like randomly in the middle of this wall of sound, Trucker's Atlas just starts playing for 30 seconds. <laughs> It's so random. I
0: mean, good song. So, um,
1: But no, the the sub, the orbital sample of the song The Box from Insides is actually used in a way where it forms the foundation of the song. Uh, I think it's the song Mortal End Love. Um, I really liked that, that way that it was used. So yeah, good album. Definitely check it out. You might enjoy it more than me. Last thing I'll talk about is the biggest surprise discovery of the last couple of weeks for me in the sense that I listened to this album on a whim based on a Rick Beato video. <laughs> But also because I had heard good things about this album, even though this particular artist, I think in the current cultural consciousness, people kind of write him off as this very cheesy, almost like Michael Bolton-esque figure, even though he's you know, always had a little bit more credibility and just coolness than Michael Bolton, but still has kind of, I think, been consigned to the pile of kind of like gooey 90s new age shit that means people kind of forget about him and forget about how good his music was. And the artist I'm talking about is one seal uh, seal the man, the myth, the legend uh, who made had an absolute breakout in 1994 with his second self-titled album produced by the legendary Thomas Dolby, uh, including oh. the massive hit single kiss from a rose And, you know, my discovery of this and realization of how awesome this album is feels very much of a piece of with our like with Jake and I's recent kind of discovery of how cool Sade actually are, because it's a similar Mm -hmm. kind of thing where it's like an artist you just assume is like for, you know, it's just wallpaper music for wine mums or whatever. And then you listen to the record and you realize, fuck me, this is a technical masterclass. And that's what Seal's second album is. And I was like, when I started listening to it, I was like, damn, this is actually like really gorgeous and really well produced. And these songs have really great hooks, you know, two or three songs. in, I was like, I was not expecting it to maintain that level of excellence the entire album. And it just does. And at the point where Kiss from a Rose hits, you're kind of just on this on this high that you, the album is kind of consistently built. And that song in context just feels like the greatest fucking song you ever heard when you listen to it. A thing I never thought I would say about "Kiss from a Rose" because I've worked in supermarkets and stores where that song is uh-huh. distantly played over PRs and made me want to kill myself. But when you actually listen to this fucking song, this shit is fucking great. It's just so good. It's the, the, cr-
0: the credits for this album: Jeff Beck
1: is on this album. Oh, dude! What the fucking the manpower on this thing is unreal. And what's great about it is it's not just you know Seal is being lifted up by these great session musicians and producers. Seal is the star of the show the entire time, and there is not a single song where he is giving anything less than a fucking ten in terms of his effort, his commitment, even his songwriting, which can be cheesy at certain points. But man, on tracks like "Prayer for the Dying," on tracks like "Don't Cry," on tracks like "If I Johnny Could," Johnny Mitchell, what the fuck? <laughs> this this shit is insane it is a classic it is a front to back great album and i'm not even again it's not even just like my expectations set this up to be so much better i listened to it a second time i was like nah this just this is fucking candy this is candy this is pure visionary mastery and deserves to be a high level pantheon album look maybe i'm just getting old (laughs) Maybe I'm just like growing up and starting to be in my adult contemporary shit, but this is, this is just, it's like, it's, it's, it's a full course meal of an album. You are getting your vegetables. You're getting a a properly just beautiful, juicy, medium rare steak. You're getting the best baked potatoes you've ever had. You're getting, you know, the, the, a glass of port that feels like, having sex for the first time when you drink it, you're getting everything with this album. So yeah, that I, I build my segment up to, to Seal's second self-titled album because it is kind of low-key a masterpiece and actually genuinely has me curious to check out more of Seal's music. Uh, Even if he very much does belong to a particular era and point in time in the 90s, you know, where the particular, like, style of pop soul that he was trading in was really, really big. I don't know. To me, lumping him in with artists like, you know, Celine Dion, who does have some great music, and Michael Bolton, who, you know, doesn't, still feels, it feels so, like, just missing the point and kind of really overlooking so much about Seal's actual passion for great musical construction production and and how to build an awesome album so yeah seal 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 but the second seal i haven't heard the first seal the second seal though
0: i'm pretty fond of the seventh myself
1: (laughs) this is the the, these are this is seal's albums in order seal seal (laughs) human being as in not not an animal anymore i guess seal Four, system soul commitment soul two <laughs> seven which is his if soul album. is so good how come there's not a soul two i don't know i just think that seals whole deal you know before this my, the only real impression i had you of could Seal, say
0: he sealed the deal
1: Before this, my only real impression I had of Seal was his hilarious cameo in star, And now I just have respect (laughs) for him on an entirely different level. I almost forgot about that. (laughs) I have respect for Seal on an entirely new level now. And Kiss from a Rose has done this amazing thing of swinging from a song that legitimately makes me want to kill myself because I hate it so much to a song that legitimately makes me want to kill myself because it's so beautiful. Just from like growing out growing up and and properly listening to that shit so yeah that's what i've been listening to all right without further ado let's get into the main part of today's now episode we are going to be talking about have you each got three i've got three i've got three. three all right so we're each going to talk about three uh guilty pleasure songs songs that Look, the assignment was a little bit vague. You know, you can interpret guilty pleasure in any way you want. I know it's a loaded phrase that not a lot of people like, but we're, you know, we're not taking it super serious. We're not obviously shaming. We can shame each other because we are, you know, because we do that, but we're not shaming. We're not shaming anyone out there for enjoying whatever they enjoy. That's not the point of this. It's just like, you know, there is music you enjoy that you feel a certain level of cultural embarrassment for enjoying. And if you don't, then you're made of stronger stuff than us three. Certainly my picks do make me feel a certain level of shame. I think that was the litmus test for us is that we were just like, what are not
0: necessarily like the, you know, three songs that we feel guilty for enjoying. It's what is the most embarrassing songs that we could possibly pick for this exercise?
1: Absolutely. And I definitely wanted to like avoid having picks that wouldn't surprise you either because you'd already known about them or because I've already talked about them before. Like, for instance, a prime candidate for me would be Ghost's 20s, but you will know that I kind of low key like that song. So there's no point in me dropping that in the segment as a, as a thing, because it's not going to get much of a reaction. Um, So I have three songs that you may or may not be surprised to hear that. And again, I don't know. I think I would say I love all of these, or at least really like them. It's hard to say. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a certain extent to which I acknowledge with these picks that, you know, none of these are fucking God only knows or anything like that, <laughs> but they are songs I enjoy. So how we can how we can do this is that we'll take turns, we'll go one at a time, round in circles, each do our first pick as well, and we can queue it up on YouTube and have a little uh, quick reminisce or introduction, as the case may be. Jake, why don't you go first with your first pick for right. a guilty pleasure song that you're kind of low-key, a little bit embarrassed to like.
0: All right, so... I had a plethora of things to choose from because you know, the earliest phase of my musical development included lots of music. I mean, like the the Toby Mac Record Club, I think, is a a, a perfect embodiment of the music that I was exposed to. Like, for as often as I uh, compliment my mom for having great taste in music, that introduced me to the likes of Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, Michael Jackson, all of that kind of stuff that we've talked about semi recently. There have been an equal Amount of things that maybe have not aged as well that I have specifically avoided mentioning up until now. And my first pick here is something that I feel like has certainly had a bit of cultural reevaluation. That a lot of it has to do with the baggage of this particular band, but this phase of them I feel like does have some kind of love. At least light, comparatively speaking. It takes me, it, it grates me no pleasure to say this. And I, I, but one of the albums that was on permanent rotation in my mom's car, uh, right up there with the other albums that I mentioned, is the first album from pop band Maroon Five. Now, look, 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 look. I hate Maroon 5. I I, I need a, a point to be made here, is that past a certain point, I think that everything this band have made is unlistenable. And that's not an unpopular take. Most people hate Maroon 5. That's just kind of a thing that everyone agrees upon. And I do too. I'm boring. I'm sorry. But I gotta say, this is kind of a stand-in because... I just have a certain level of nostalgia
1: for a lot of the songs on Songs About Jane. I I I, and hey look, I I thought that the general cultural consensus on that album was pretty positive. It's it's certainly swayed a little bit back in its favor, but
0: still, you go back and listen to this, and it's just like. I can't necessarily say that the things people dislike Maroon 5 for are not on this album because they certainly are. There is an immensely unlikable presence at the source of all of it in the form of Adam Levine and his vocals, which I do not care for still. And the the sense that all of these songs are about, you know, shallow relationships that are all about sex and it's just it's all this kind of whatever. But I got to say... I have a particular fondness for the song Sunday Morning. I think that this is a perfectly enjoyable... Yeah, I love
2: the Velvet Underground.
0: <laughs> I mean, they, they definitely have the superior song, uh, but I, I gotta say I enjoy this in a lot of the ways that I enjoy a lot of similar kind of jazzy soft rock. There's a kind <laughs> of funk inflected thing that this song has going on and hey it's look, also one of the more likable songs that adam levine has penned in the past
1: jake i will look I, I will relieve your ego i like this song too i think a lot of people like this song i think that if this is something that you find genuinely embarrassing to like then my picks are gonna really are gonna really, oh, this yeah, I mean, this fun. this is this is my first pick
0: because it was easily the pick that I found to be the like the most agreeable, the yeah. least controversial. I think, but it still has an added stigma. I think just that just has to do with this band that like like I I go back to songs about Jane and even some of the more popular beloved songs like This Love, for instance. Not a fan of that. Um, but like if I if you had this on shuffle in your car on in you know. I, I'd have a good time with it. It's got a catchy chorus. It's got a nice hook. This is the best, other than the Kanye West song, heard him say, this is the best utilization of Adam Levine's vocals that have ever been put to use. Uh, The only time where I think I've ever found his voice even remotely appealing. But yeah, this is just a nice piece of very agreeable kind of funk, contemporary R&B alt rock that is from... Uh, A a bygone era. I I feel like the early 2000s in terms of, like, rock that wasn't post-grunge is just, like, really soft and really kind of fluffy and occasionally kind of embarrassing, which this most certainly is, but... I don't know. There is just something nice and nostalgic about this song that I genuinely enjoy returning to. I've thought about making this a record club before just because I do have an, an affinity for it in the same way that I have an affinity for Welcome to Diverse City. I think they're probably about as good as each other as albums, but
1: I I, I had um, <laughs> one of my... One Riley, of my... do
0: you think you could pull this song up? Yeah, for sure. Yes. I,
1: I can. Un- undou-
2: Undoubtedly, I've heard it but
1: you don't recognize you don't know it immediately wow okay that's that's actually surprising this song is so ingrained in my memory i will just say like i had a girlfriend in high school and her two favorite albums were uh foster the people's torches and maroon Five's song about jane and so i had to listen to those and i like i love
0: 2016
1: it was 20 i haven't thought about foster the
0: people in so long
1: it was 2014 actually but yeah Um, that was just an era where I feel like, you know, most people, if you, if you were in high school between 2010 and 2015, and you had a high school girlfriend during that period, there was like an 80% chance that bitch loved songs about Jane. And Mm -hmm. it was just, and so you, you know, you, you absorb it through osmosis. Let's remind ourselves very briefly of, uh, Sunday morning.
2: Michael Boobly boo
0: shit I ever heard in my life. Yeah. My mom also loves Michael Bublé. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I like the song a lot. But part of it, I think, is... <laughs> yeah, all right, that's enough of this. I promise you, my next two picks, far more embarrassing. <laughs> all right, well, um, Morgan, why don't you <laughs> take your turn, first turn now, and, and tell us a little bit about your first pick. I
2: only picked two, so I'll start with the less embarrassing one. It shouldn't come as much of a surprise to anyone to hear that my picks are from the 2000s uh, post-grunge wave. The the first one is um, uh, Seethers Broken featuring Amy <laughs> Lee
0: of Evanescence.
1: Yeah! You've showed like, me um, this song! I don't think I know this immediately. I'm gonna get it up.
0: Oh, um, I'm so happy.
2: Was it in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. I know Bring. It might
0: have been was. in like
1: the credits
0: of that movie, maybe.
1: I mean it already just yeah. looking at it, it feels very Daredevil core in that era. Yeah.
0: It's very fallen core. <laughs> it wasn't the Punisher though. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: YouTube literally just doesn't want to play this song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I know this, unless it's a chorus. Oh, uh, yeah, I think I do know the chorus. <laughs> she just pops up like a little jump scare. Like, Whoop. Okay, we don't need. Look at that. this. We do not need. Look to- at that fucker's face. <laughs> do not need to listen to any more of Eddie Vedder at Home.
2: That's rude to Scott Wyland for one thing.
1: <laughs> um, no, fair enough. That's a pretty cringy song. I didn't remember it until the broken part, but. I mean,
2: it's just so, so 2000s post grunge. Everything about it is so overwrought. And the lyrics are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get into the lyrics. My, I want to steal this, your pain
0: I, away is a hilarious metaphor for trying to written, make someone feel better. Written by an actual eighth grader, I think.
2: Um, <laughs> and this man sings like he is passing kidney stones. <laughs> I it, you to know <laughs> and having him Duet with Amy Lee, who sounds as great as she always has, is like, how do you not die of embarrassment?
1: I mean, (laughs) I'm sure like like,
2: his
0: vocals are so much higher than hers, too. Yeah, Like, they're in the background. How do you have Amy Lee on your song and you don't be like, uh, pay 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 attention to her? She does have her own verse, which is pretty good.
2: But like, part of this is nostalgia. Undoubtedly, I think that guitar intro sounds great. Like, I think it's hard to get an acoustic guitar sound sound that shiny. I guess. Yeah, yeah I know. Crying when I've already given him like five crusts. Just take and you take and you take. The <laughs> <Super laughs> on Stevens moment. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so indicative of a certain time and stop licking the pizza box of a certain time and the tastes of that time. And I don't know. Coming I, into I, frame is so yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jasper. Yeah, it's just so ridiculous and I so completely. Without a trace of irony, love it. Because it is also <laughs> above everything, di- nauseatingly sincere. Yeah. Uh, like, there's not a, an ounce of
0: forcedness or irony. I think that makes a lot of music from that era not like, not palatable, but it makes it easier to engage with, at least if you grew
1: up with it, I think. Yeah. Well, okay moving into my first pick then and when i was writing my list i i, I put this first because it was like instinctively i feel like this is the least shameful so i think it makes sense to start with this but now thinking about you two in particular and 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 the just the general dynamic of... not Bono, no but no, i i know sh- <laughs> no, no shame or guilt about any of my u2 enjoyment um but well you should <laughs> i know what you're gonna say yeah um well no
2: no, it's more that if there's, there's certain parts of you too that if you enjoy, I both understand and also it's like, I don't, I don't know about that, Chief. Like, you know, the song "A Beautiful Day, for instance.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not going to, you know. there's no fun in me sitting here for two or three minutes trying to explain to you why it's this random deep cut on how to dismantle an atomic bomb is low-key fire. Uh, an album I haven't heard, by the way. But, you know, yeah, this, I mean, the, the idea is... is um, I don't
2: even think The oh, Edge has heard that album.
1: It's not. It, it wouldn't make for very good content. Thing is, mm-hmm. I know that you three will almost certainly know all three of my songs. That's what makes this harder oh, okay. for me, is the judgment. Um. So, yeah, I, this first pick I put first because I thought it was the least embarrassing. But now I think it might be the most embarrassing in this particular context Oh hell yeah! Initially, it was the least embarrassing because it's it's kind of closer to the things that I enjoy because it's a 2010s pop song, and my other two picks aren't. So I was like, you know, I guess it's more understandable. It's a 2010s pop song. I like a lot of pop music, but but thinking about it, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so this. So so I want you to think for a second. I want to see if you can get get what it is before I even show it to you. What is the most what is the cringiest 2010s pop band do you think or pop artist or whatever I'll, I'll give you uh, a hint I'll give you a hint now and say it's not a solo artist What do you think is the cringiest pop band of the 20s I mean it's
2: without doubt Imagine
0: Dragons but
1: Okay okay this is not an Imagine Dragons song that's a good counterpoint though Okay
0: um, uh specifically post pretty odd panic at the
1: disco Okay no it's not as it's it's Mm, no it's not that uh you know it's a band that achieved a certain a, a stratospheric heights essentially off the back of a few very successful and very huge singles that were particularly popular in you know the young early 20s instagram demographic um and they you know, whether you like the songs or not and i think most people like us don't really although there are there are some of these songs i think are guilty pleasures for a lot of people um the whole aesthetic of the band themselves of the artists is I think what turns people off a lot because the artists are oh two... is it 21 pilots no it's not 21 pilots oh, I love okay. that you haven't guessed it, yet. Damn it but the whole aesthetic of the artists and it is two people essentially who are behind this project is just so off-putting their entire personality has been consistently off-putting things they've said have been really really kind of shallow and is it the black keys so no it's not the black keys look Shit. i am going to share, i'm going to share everything you just said applies to the black keys <laughs> i'm going to share the screen with you right now and you can see for yourself what band i'm okay. talking about all right <laughs> oh! oh my god yeah so i don't know how i'm going to edit this yes! in the end but for anyone at home all was, right we it it have was who is listening. We have our first truly painful entry. <laughs> My first pick today is Closer by The Chainsmokers. Uh, this song has been a guilty pleasure of mine ever since it was kind of first big, actually. Um, I've just always really loved the synthesizer tone and synthesizer melody of this song. I've even kind of, even though the lyrics are like so hot topic bad, you know, baby, pull me closer and the Range Rover in the
0: back seat of your rover
1: that you stole from your roommate back in dover or whatever it's just really dumb boulder
0: actually
1: anyway let's have a listen don't ask me
0: how i know the lyrics i didn't say a word i fucking hate this man's face so much (laughs)
2: Made the dog cry.
0: (laughs) The fucking intro, just the... Hey. uh,
1: I just... I love this synth sound so much. I love how tight this is. It's pretty good. When when the chorus hits, it's genuinely just fucking... It sounds... It just feels really good.
0: Part, Part of why this is tainted for me is that, have you seen the video of the singer doing this live? And he just—he sounds legitimately tone-deaf singing it. It's he so funny. Is.
1: I will say he Halsy, sings and he's like, "Ah, ah, uh, ah." Uh, I will say to Halsey's credit as well—they're a great feature choice on this song, and I always, I do like them as a singer more than I did as a teenager. Um, oh yeah. And they do add a particular—you know—they they sound better than the Chainsmokers guy anyway. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah I mean the the chain smokers themselves are the worst part of any chain song Halsey yeah. on this song is a, a breath of fresh air
2: I just want to say that that is maybe the single worst beat drop in the history of music <laughs>
1: It doesn't sound great coming through a YouTube rip shared through Zoom. It didn't sound
2: good in high-res loss. I
1: I was going to say, like, I actually have,
0: like, this is, this is when I think of music that, like, when I had my first job in a Walgreens, I heard this music that is, that sounds exactly like this from this particular year was like, even though it was like three years in the past at this point this music played cont- i heard that song specifically every day for like a year so i like when i associate like 2010s pop music Like, I I imagine this, I imagine the songs on Katy Perry's Prism, I imagine, um, like, every future single that was popular in the early 2010s, like, all of those are just, like, in this metastasized cloud in my head that I associate with that time period that's, like, I hate it, but it's also weirdly nostalgic.
1: Yeah, well, like, I just, I don't know, you guys know me, I'm, like, an unashamedly, like, emo- person who just like has tendencies towards cringe and and some of the things your
0: enjoyment of m83 as a matter of fact feels like it has a
1: direct correlation absolutely i mean if you actually sit down and read the lyrics to any m83 song you will like your eyes will dislodge from rolling so hard yeah Yeah. but it's just part of the appeal i like Like, m83
0: just for the record no and i I I know i
1: know you do but like (laughs) it's it's a sort of thing where like the cringiness of closer it doesn't bother me it it, or at least it doesn't bother me as much as maybe it should because i feel like there is a connection there between that and stuff that i grew up loving and it just feels like it captures and distills down to this kind of like you know no frills essence what the feeling of that really larger than life synth pop music is and it's an honest cringe it is an honest cringe it's certainly you know the 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 music video doesn't really do it any favors and just the whole baggage of the Chainsmokers is just so eye rolling. They're such fucking just, just cringe dudes who, you know, are so fucking self-obsessed. Hey, this song,
0: shit. this song may not be amazing, but it's not selfie.
1: <laughs> well, that's certainly true. Um, but anyway, it I... is certainly best
0: Chainsmokers
2: song.
1: Well, you know, if I'm going to yeah. dig, if I'm going to dig my own grave any further, I'll say I also kind of like Paris as well, um, but not as much as. Close. It's because it's the
0: same song.
1: That's true. It is the same song. Anyway, enough of that. Jake, what is your second pick today?
0: All right, this is. I feel like this band and this song are so much more like my specific brand of cringe like i feel like Chainsmokers being riley's pick and cedar being morgan's that's like very on-brand cringe and this this is definitely mine this is from a band that i don't i don't hate this band i think they've made some music that i like but their direction of going in the more kind of alt-electronic phase that they took their sound is just really garish and uh, not really for me and part of it is just because it is so like honestly full-bloodedly sincere in its overwhelming movie trailer IMAX levels of like dramatic cringe Uh, and it's a very specific song I'd be amazed if either of you or even really any of our listeners had even heard it but it's a song from the band bring me the horizon (laughs) uh and no yeah this is the single that they a single that they released that i don't know why they made a song about this but they made a song about the playstation video game parasite eve that's what the song's called it's called parasite eve
2: hard as fuck
0: in concept because i've definitely i've heard this song yeah
1: okay okay um
2: and uh, the execution is yes less Um, promising than
0: the title would imply the it's a very good video game for the record but um this basically is about the plot of the video game in broad strokes and it is cringy in the same way that a lot of bring me the horizons music is cringy but it's specifically cringy for a particular moment in the first verse which like it's going for this big again movie trailer IMAX epic scale and in the first verse there's just this moment that is so full-bloodedly stupid i laugh every single time i hear it it also just kind of goes hard like i can't i can't pretend that i don't think that that this song is kind of like it has a really like interesting structure to it 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 goes pretty hard but it's also just oh god i in like i enjoy it in the same way that i enjoy something like bring me to life by evanescence but this song isn't nearly as good as that one (laughs) Let's have a wee listen, shall we? Because I don't,
1: you, I definitely you, don't know the song.
0: You have to get to the part I'm getting. It, it's a very, you will know it when you hear it.
1: All right, let's go. <laughs>
0: Wait what? for it. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get
1: fucked. <laughs> has arrived Oh my god. Hey, god What
0: What are we
1: Wait
0: for it It's so
1: bad I love
0: it
2: Fuck
1: <laughs> it's so
0: cringe i love it I'll, i'll
1: go ahead and say i don't think that your love of that is any more shameful than my enjoyment of the second law and will other people era muse, respectively.
0: Yeah, it's about this. This is absolutely cringe in the same way that late era muse is cringe. Better thing about this is that the the uh, obviously it's from like the, the plot of the games has to do with like a parasite and a viral infection. But something that made this even cringier was this came out in 2020 <laughs> during the pandemic. So all of the all of the lines about like not learning from the sickness or whatever the fuck it's like, come on guys,
1: um you know great pick, you definitely cringe as fuck. So that you that you've understood the assignment, but anyway, Morgan, here's second pick first.
2: My my th- my idea for this particular topic came from this song. Which is, I, I'll be completely honest, I have absolutely no sentimental attachment to, no nostalgia for it. I first heard it like a month ago. But it, it's, it's something that I, instead of listening to it on Apple Music, I uh, 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 screen recorded a the YouTube video of it and then MP3'd it. So that's, it would be out of my Scrabbles. You
1: know, I, oh, right. I was going to say that, you could go that's me when that's I don't add Scrabbles.
0: an album in Apple Music to my library because I know it'll show up in my Scrabbles. So yeah, I just you listen don't to it. I fucking
1: screen record it on YouTube. That's incredibly like this must be some real shit.
2: But the thing is, <laughs> is that I, th- I really think it is a really, really good song. And it's just. So embarrassing, because it, complete you you might be underwhelmed honestly when I say what it is, but I have been railing against this band <laughs> almost my entire life, <laughs> so for so long.
1: Just any number of bands, all of which are kind of flying through my head at the moment. I can't wait to hear what this is.
2: I I, I don't I don't even want to say it it feels like a betrayal of everything that I hold true in this life so I'm just going to send it in the
0: (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to pick a Creed song I fucking knew it in my heart of hearts that you were going to pick a Creed song it's (laughs) good. Ah, oh, they're doing the acoustic electric guitar combo thing that I love. I hate that.
1: It's funny how like For I think sure. multiple Creed songs actually do sound pretty good until the moment Scott steps starts singing. You
0: would you would like Alter Bridge, Riley?
1: <laughs> like the I agree. The intro to this is great, and now. The world's worst singers. I, I just hate it. Why does he? So he, he
0: actually looks like Colin Farrell in Daredevil. I am deeply ashamed
2: to say <laughs> how many times I've listened to this song. Uh, I, I don't want to contemplate it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely um, it definitely
1: read on paper. You know, it's a pick from the Creed reunion <laughs> album.
2: Really, and that's part of it is I don't even know how I got here. Cause I go back and I listen to like with our arms wide open and I'm like, absolutely not under no circumstance.
0: I mean that late nineties, early two thousands production, just it sinks Creed a lot lower than they already are.
1: Oh, I will say, you know, just to kind of, I hate Scott staff as a vocal presence, but I can't deny that I definitely see the vision with some of those big Creed songs. Like there is just, there is an emotion and a rise in songs like Higher that, if they were just in different hands, I think would would be something I could really connect with on that juvenile sort of like, life.
2: like even Chad kroger's hands. I'll even give yeah. Chad
1: that.
0: Yeah. Like, see, this a, to me sounds a like above. a Jars of Clay song. You all familiar with Jars of Clay? Oh yeah. 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 Like that. That reminded me of like Flood, which is a legitimately yeah. very good song. I'm surprised I didn't yes. have any like Christian rock radio picks for mine. Um, I'll, I'll tap that well again some other time.
1: All <laughs> right, So, so for my second pick, I uh, the, we're getting with my next two picks, we're definitely getting more into the territory of the sort of picks that Morgan and Jake, to a certain extent, have shouted out, but more so more, Morgan's lane. So I have no idea. I haven't really been able to get get a measure of whether or not with these, with these picks, mm-hmm. Morgan is pro or anti. Um and Jake for that matter, both of you are pro or anti. Uh, I could see you. I, I I could see you two both feeling similarly to me about these songs, about this particular next song, you know, which is this really nostalgic connection. Equally, I could see it being like a creed with arms wide open sort of situation where you just can't stand it for whatever reason. Um, but you're definitely gonna know that this, the, these next two songs. Okay. They're they're huge songs, they're very big, successful songs. Um, All right. They're just, like, so out of my wheelhouse for me to enjoy. And a lot of my prep for this was going on, like, Spotify-generated guilty pleasure playlists. And a lot of it was, you know, really cheesy 2000s rock music and just, like, listening through, you know, dozens of songs, many of which I already knew, and just kind of establishing how I felt about them now. Um, and I got particularly stuck on this song, both of the two songs I have left, but this song in particular, where I was like, Fuck this is better than I remembered it being. Um, and so my second pick is uh, Stains. It's been a while. Yes! Yes! He <laughs> got one! Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I figured you'd probably be pro it, but I th- I just, I can't, I'm so, I don't, I can barely translate how well these particular songs are going to age. In with no
0: context am I pro anything in regards to Stained. I just love the fact that this is this is okay. a, a quintessential So Bad It's Good pick.
1: All right, well, let's have a wee listen to it first. Oh, I'm sorry. I just yeah, your lighter's mean, out. That intro gets in and I'm just like, something within me.
0: Looks, this looks like the, the room that the the Creed music video was in. Just different lighting. Yeah. It probably is.
1: I mean, this is really a situation like with Creed, where it's like, you know, literal human piece of shit here at yeah. the front of this yeah. band. And yet, and yet, why do I love this song?
0: He He sounds a lot better here than he does in his solo music.
1: Oh no shit, yeah. It's been a while since this song was recorded. Good one. Oh, it's such a good chorus.
0: I can't remember.
1: It just was cooking when I listened to it, and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah
2: hey look i mean shitty jar of flies is still pretty good
1: yeah i mean i can't literally jar of flies at home like (laughs) yeah (laughs) everything i can remember all right jake what is what is your third day all
0: right saved the 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 best for last uh I I want to mention I I was toiling between two different songs for my last pick here, but I went with one over the other because one of my picks was like it was kind of the same thing as the Maroon 5 song where I feel like this was like, you know, the epitome of like online music nerds think this is bad and terrible and have for a while until it's like kind of gotten a little bit of a reevaluation as, But that's the thing is that the reason that I, I discarded it was just because it felt like too many people these days would just be like, oh, no, I enjoy this song in a so bad it's good kind of way. And originally, my pick on here was going to be very much in the same vein as what I think about those the the early 2010s pop music that I would hear when I was working at a drugstore. Uh, originally, my pick was going to be TikTok by Kesha but um also
1: a a song i would consider a guilty pleasure
0: yeah the thing is is that that is so dedicated to a sense of in a very intentional brazen tastelessness that it feels wrong to pick like i i couldn't say that just because in good conscience it's like i don't feel like that song fails at anything like it's it's doing exactly what it's trying to do
1: fun fact for you tiktok by kesha was the very last song i ever downloaded off of limewire
0: that, oh God, that feels so accurate. Because it, it came correct. out
1: around the time that LimeWire like really started tanking and going to shit and just being unusable. And it was the last song I downloaded off of that. It,
0: uh, I, it's fun. I associate it, it with, um, the, I associated with another album that we reviewed on this show from around the same time, that being the songs from Tayo Cruz's Rockstar. The same, the well, very same, same kind era. Of music it was early 2010,
1: like right at the beginning I, of 2010. I heard
0: these songs like in a Starbucks back to back, like a dozen times, I'm sure. So I had to go for a pick that was a bit more adventurous, a bit more embarrassing. And I actually referenced it earlier just because I like offhandedly. But um I've mentioned in the past that I. I'm not necessarily willing to defend my stance that I enjoy some of this music, but I I, I can't help but still enjoy it anyway. And that being, this is really just a stand-in for the whole album, which I could listen to and enjoy basically all of, despite all of its off-puttingness. And this is very much my Morgan Creed pick, where it feels like it goes against everything I stand for and everything that I hate. And it's from an artist who I've trashed on the show before. It's from Panic at the Discos, Death of a Bachelor. The song being easily the cringiest song on that album, which is Crazy equals Genius. A a nauseously terrible song. All across this album, all of the songs are just like so, they're so unlikable. But this motherfucker can write hooks. Like, I, 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 this, this album's not good. But I've listened to it all the way through, like, three or four times. And I, I can't help but enjoy a little bit of it. And this song in particular just feels like it embodies everything about Panic! At the Disco these days that is cringy, that is terrible, that is unlikable on every front. And I, I just, I like listening to it
1: just like Mike. this i love love that that's... vocal hook so much that's a really funny line it? Yeah. it is oh there's that completely just shut up i can't stand it ah oh. worst
2: disney villain song of all time
0: that... That's why? the whole album is that it sounds like Yuri trying to make Disney villain songs and not, he's not great at it, but I,
1: there's something I mean, about it, man. Why, whenever he does that way thing in a song, why does he always like double track it like 10 times? I,
0: I think it's because it's pure queen worship and not even like queen that everyone likes. I'm talking about like hot space queen. I'm talking about like, Magic Queen, like th- th- there's, this is easily some of the most indefensibly written music I think that I've consumed of it, just embodying that attitude of being like, oh, I'm
1: so different, Ugh. and yet I don't mind it hey, here. Look, I've been on the record as um, I really enjoy. I've, I haven't listened to beyond, so I've only listened to. The first two panic at the disco Fever and pretty odd. And I really like pretty odd. I, I think that is a, a genuinely a really good it's solid. Um I haven't listened in full to anything beyond that. um but I, I I appreciate this as a guilty pleasure pick because I do feel some semblance of guilt over the panic at the disco stuff that I do enjoy, like how I was de- mildly defensive of the first song on their new album. Um, and that's a similar sort of energy. And
0: I'm that way for everything on Death of a Bachelor. I don't legitimately think there's a song on that album I I actually dislike, as embarrassing as it is to a bit. It's not a good album, but I, I just – I don't know. There's something about the energy to it. It I – not – the instrumentation isn't good, but, like, it it just – it sounds markedly like this kind of retro, gaudy kind of Frank Sinatra pop-punk pastiche it just it it's a it's a sound that panic, or at least that Brendan wears better than most people would, I guess. I, I... it's it's oh, no. better than Parasite Eve. <laughs> That's
1: true. That's true. Okay, well we you give we two picks, right? So I yeah. will go into my last pick now. Um this is simultaneously the song that I'm most embarrassed to like, but also probably the one of the three that I like the most. And again. It's on that same sort of whole aesthetic of stained and whatever, at least to me, it all melds together. Um, Someone who's more into that, you know, late 90s, early 2000s music might have a little bit more nuance in how they distinguish these bands. But to me, this is all the same sort of thing. Um, And so, again, I have no framework on whether this is something that you two would like or hate. It's, again, definitely a song you'll know because it's huge. It was a bit... It's a big staple of, of rock radio, and I just adore it. And the song is Hooperstanks <laughs> the reason <laughs> <Fuck> yeah. Yeah! <laughs> yeah!
0: Oh and absolutely.
1: I like, again, it's like it reminds me so much of like, you know, the shittiest context in which I've been made to listen to radio, rock. But mm-hmm. again, like this kind of freedom. Of choosing to listen to it of your own volition and having that nostalgia come through, look, let's just let's just indulge ourselves for a minute. Here. This, lady. God, I, I, I just like, I I love this so much. <laughs> I'm so fucked up. This- Riley,
0: I feel like another pick I should have gone for would be a song I enjoy exactly like this, which is Chasing Cars by
1: Snow Patrol. Yeah, that's- I think that Same- was, Same energy. energy. There's less guilty pleasure there, I think, because people love that song in a very nostalgic way. Whereas this, I think, is still a little bit- a little bit cringe to like.
0: I love how Hoobastank have more followers I mean, on YouTube than fucking- right, fucking Stained does. I have to say,
2: as someone who low-key loves uh, The Callings Wherever You Will Go, yeah. uh, Cosign.
1: It's just like, they haven't come in yet, but it's just like the wailing guitar lead, and just the way yeah, it intensifies and stuff. It really feels very like, uh, like the kind of, the stuff I love most about this kind of music. When it really leans into the melodramatic aspects. I love that
0: shit. Yeah, this this is another tentative three star pick for me that I would say I'd go on the limb to say that I just narrowly like that song.
1: I mean, I would I would probably give it like a solid four and a half and just be lean fully into how much I love it is for what it is. It's just it's so it's it's one it, and I love it. And that is the spirit of this. So at home. Let us know what you think of these picks. What are the songs that you're kind of low-key... We
0: embarrassed ourselves in front of you. It's your turn now.
1: Let us know in the comments below what songs you would pick for this exercise as well. And whether you enjoyed this sort of kind of group therapy session of, of each of us kind of confessing some of our, you know, most dark hidden secrets uh, and hey,
0: if you enjoyed so. it, we can do this again. There's plenty of cringe in my back catalog that I'm more yeah. than willing to drum up for content.
1: Yeah, I mean, doing these now episodes every week, inevitably we're going to end up revisiting certain topics down the road. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we will. And so let us know what you think and what your picks would be. Thank you for sticking with us for this episode of Jams and Tea Now this week. Again, as we've mentioned multiple times, we'll be back in just a couple of days to review the new albums from Paranormal and Little Yachty, so stick around for that. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a like and subscribing to the channel if you have not already. Both those things help us out a lot. If you want to go above and beyond and support the channel even further, you can hit the join button. And for just $1 a month, you can become a Jams and Tea family member. And get your name and the title call of every video on this channel. Plus, if you want to recommend us some music to listen to, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. Until next time though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago,
2: Disneyland, the happiest place on earth.